Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Locked on Heat. David and I will be coming up shortly to talk about heat culture, but I wanted to take a quick second to mention that we have an email address. It's lockedonheat at gmail.com. And the reason I'm giving you that email address is because we want to do a day, now that our podcast is daily, we want to do a whole day dedicated to mailbag questions, answering your questions and taking care of all of your concerns. That's our goal. So what we need you to do is to email us any questions you might have about the heat, about the NBA, about anything, dating advice, doesn't matter. Email it to us at lockedonheat at gmail.com, and we will spend a whole day dedicated to your mailbag questions. Get them in soon, email as many as you want, and we'll answer your questions. So without further ado, here's the show. Enjoy. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. With me on the other line, it's David Ramil. How you doing, buddy? I'm <laughs> doing pretty good, man. I don't, I don't know if I'll be able to match your level of enthusiasm, but I'll certainly give it the old college try. That's all I'm asking for, man. It's we got um, quite a podcast ahead of us, talking about heat culture and where it where it goes now, and all of this kind of spurred by not to you know plan words by Tim Duncan's retirement, which not necessarily heat related but Tim Duncan's been such a such a fixture in the NBA for so long that we just kind of have to talk about it out of respect you know um, right and with his retirement the the you know a lot of people have been writing articles and talking on the radio and TV about what he's meant to the NBA obviously the the way he's impacted the Spurs and that culture over there um, in San Antonio and we want to talk about that and also a lot of the parallels that we see from the Spurs and the Heat and, and the culture of those organizations who are two of the best-run organizations in the NBA. So just your thoughts immediately on Tim Duncan's retirement before we get into all the Heat talk. Well, it's kind of perfectly um, representative of who he is as a player, very quiet, um, not exactly the most vocal player, um, always kind of self-contained, no, no less aggressive or... Uh, you know, will, willing himself to win, you know, obviously that's always been a big priority for him, but just, just the way he's carried himself with the, the, a certain level of professionalism. And, and you see a lot of that in the way that players responded to his retirement, similar to Kobe, but very different, kind of like a, a very yin and yang relationship. Although I think Kobe came into the league earlier than Duncan did, but you know, Kobe was heartless, uh, you know, cutthroat, very eager to to you know step all over you on his way to a, victor- a victory and would do whatever was necessary. And while I don't think that that necessarily reflects poorly on Duncan, he just didn't have to stab you that way in order to win or beat you in some way. He was always more about just getting the work done. And I think uh, you know when you see what the, how people have responded and and not just not just players but coaching staff to see a guy like Greg Popovich become very emotional when he's talking about Tim Duncan and his retirement and you see people who who work for the organization and recognize 
how great his impact was. And you hear about these stories about how he's able to to touch people that you might not never necessarily expect to have felt something by his presence. I think it speaks a lot of who Dun- about who Duncan is. And I never, I was never really that big a fan of his. I always thought that I guess I saw them as. Uh, I guess rivals to Miami in some regard, even though they didn't really compete at the biggest level. But there was just something about the way they conducted their business. I thought it was very opposing to Miami. I guess Miami was more aggressive, much more cutthroat in that way. More like Kobe, but not necessarily as bloodthirsty, I guess. Um, But something about the cold, methodical nature of San Antonio, you know, and and perfectly representative of who Duncan was as a person – just kind of irked me a little bit. I wanted to see more emotion out of them. And, and I guess now in hindsight, getting older, you kind of really appreciate the fact that they're just able to go about their business so effectively and the way that it translates year in and year out that it doesn't necessarily reflect as far as championships are concerned, although five titles is certainly nothing to, to sneeze at. But just the fact that they're so good every year, that they've been so consistent in the way they do things, you have to kind of tip your hat to them. Absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned... Duncan's just approach to basketball is just, I'm going to go out and I'm going to play basketball. He doesn't really care about the fringe things. He doesn't want to do all the commercials. He doesn't want to do all those things. I loved Blake Griffin's um, Players Tribune little um, Mm. homage. Blake Griffin, forward for the Clippers and senior editor of the Players Tribune, by the way. Um, Mm. But talking about how he was eight or nine years old and he was in the nosebleeds in a San Antonio Spurs game. It was his first ever NBA game. And... um, they got there early, him and his dad, and he saw Tim Duncan at the layup line, you know, just practicing his layups, and it was probably Duncan's first, second, or third year in the league. Um, And then how he, you know, he was practicing his bank shot and his hook shot, and he just had a a way to go, had a a habit, you know, he just was always talking about it. Um, A routine, I'm sorry. And then... Ten years later, it gets into the NBA. It's its rookie year. He's playing for the Clippers in a preseason game against the Spurs, and it's the same exact routine. And uh, and twenty years later, I mean, or ten years later, it's and then, you know, through a twenty-year career for Duncan, it's he he's probably doing the routine the entire the same way the entire time, right? So, yeah, yeah, you don't think of him as having changed very much over the course of his career. He's just, you know, I, part of I think what. What led to some negativity from my perspective was hearing Shaq call him the big fundamental. He was just so dry, yeah. kind of like unbuttered toast, you know, just kind of going through his process. It but, almost gives him like – you remember in 2013 where he missed that bunny? The bunny yeah, sure. Of course. And, and obviously that helped the Heat win um, the NBA Finals that year. But he got little to no criticism over that. And I think when you approach the game the way he does – and I don't necessarily want NBA players to approach the game. I mean, Blake Griffin talking about how he looks up to him, but Blake Griffin's on more Kia commercials than anybody else. And Sure. You know, but the way that Duncan goes about it, he stays out of the spotlight. He stays out of the news cycle, really, because it's just so uninteresting to talk about almost. Right. That he, al- he also granted himself so much margin for error. Not mm-hmm. to say that he wasn't as great as he was. I mean, we're talking about one of the top ten players ever, right? Like, he could have, I guess he could afford to miss a layup in the NBA Finals. You know, they, the Spurs lost that for a lot of other reasons, namely Ray Allen's miracle three-pointer. But, it, you know, it, it's still, you know, if, imagine if LeBron had missed that layup, right? Like, and, oh, and, and would have been no end of criticism. Absolutely. So nobody ever calls Tim Duncan a choker. And he's not, you know, it's not fair to call him that. I'm just saying, like, LeBron would have been called that. 
Um, Absolutely. So, you know, going about that grants, you know, a little bit more margin for error. So I think all of that talk and all of the articles that we were reading, talking about how Tim Duncan, everything we were just talking about about him, you know, lent itself to the that quote-unquote culture for the San Antonio Spurs, how it was him and it was Greg Popovich creating the culture in San Antonio that allowed people like Tony Parker and Monty Ginobili and later Kawhi Leonard and even more recently LaMarcus Aldridge and guys like that um, to thrive and for them to win championships and how that parallels to what the Heat have done under Pat Riley and then after Dwayne Wade got drafted and all and just embodied all of those things that you know Pat Riley wanted out of a team, out of a player specifically, specifically a star player. And now that Wade's retired, or not retired, sorry, might as well be. He's in Chicago. <laughs> um, who, you know, who's next? But first I want to talk about just Pat Riley and the way he's instilled the culture. Do you still, are you worried now that Wade's gone? Do they, do you still believe that Riley at the other side of 70 years old now, it can still be that guiding light for young players for, or just for a, a team in general? I think, you know, part of the, the issue that we've heard regarding uh, Wade and his decision to leave Miami was that he felt some friction there because he felt like Riley was taking entirely too much credit for helping build the big three era. We talked about this before when we addressed Wade's you know, decision to go to Chicago. And Wade obviously felt that he, he had a bigger part of it. And I guess we'll never know the truth where exactly it lies, whether it might have been a shared uh, you know, responsibility of both of them to help put it together, you know, whether or not Wade was acting on Riley's behalf or whether or not Riley was acting in conjunction with Wade. But you look at it as far as who's implementing the culture there. And and to me, again, to go back even a step further to what we were talking about, Duncan, you know, Popovich himself said for all the talk about Spurs culture, none of that would even be in existence if not not for Tim Duncan. They built that team to model Timmy and the way he conducted himself. And they built a team around him, adding the right players who would fit into that sort of thing. And I think in Miami, it's something very similar. For as much credit as I think Wade does deserve for helping put together the big three, I think when you refer to heat culture, it's something that came up before Wade was a part of the team and will continue now that he's gone. I think Riley is still always going to be the fifth figurehead as far as what heat culture is supposed to embody. I think it was um, first demonstrated in his decision to trade Glenn Rice for Alonzo Mourning, a guy who he thought would be the, the perfect manifestation of that culture. You know, a guy who was a tireless worker, who, you know, worked out after games, you know, who who first felt fatigued when, he, when his kidneys were failing him. And his decision was, well, let me go to the gym and work it out, even though that was possibly putting his life at risk. I mean, this was a, a, a perfect demonstration of what that culture was on the floor. So I think Riley is still always going to be the caretaker of that idea, that culture. And so when you look at Wade's departure, as much as it you know delivers a blow to the idea that it'll be as manifested, as easily visible, I think that culture will still exist. So I think Riley is still the person who created that culture and he'll still be there to help um, ease it into the next phase of that. I do, you know, Riley came in and he, he was a coach for a long time. So now as the president of the organization, I think he's a little bit more hands-off. So I am worried a little bit about that. I'm worried about that, you know, Alonzo Morning came in, yeah, but they never won anything with Alonzo Morning, right? Like, they were in the playoffs, and they were fun and very competitive, and those series with the Knicks were incredible, but they never won a championship. They never went to the finals. I mean, it was... Well, you know, maybe, maybe take it a step, sorry to interrupt, but maybe take it a step back then and say, 
How do you define heat culture? And then maybe from there we can see who the progenitor of it is and who is make, might be best poised to take it to that next level. Sure. I think, you know, number one is like the hard work stuff, the, just the basketball only, right? Just like the basketball being your number one priority. The, the heat are all about basketball. Right. And all that, and that, that I think is the number one thing about sacrificing for, you know, yourself, for your teammates, just to, to get to that greater goal. It's just like always having a championship in mind. I think ultimately that's what the heat culture is. There's no, like the process doesn't exist, right? Not in Miami, not with Pat Riley. It doesn't exist. It, it's always, no matter what, we're going to go for a championship. Now, yes, I know that they tanked a couple years in order to get LeBron James and Chris Bosh and all those guys, but ultimately the goal was not to accumulate assets or anything. It was to, right. it was to make a big swing for the fences. There was it, was never it wasn't even yeah, it wasn't even necessarily a full on tank job. They just sure. kind of what they were doing this year, which is acquiring short term contracts that would help keep them competitive without losing at a high level. So I think my concern though with Pat Riley is that and I don't want to come off as a Pat Riley doubter. I mean what he's built in Miami is there was nothing in, in with the Heat before Pat Riley. Like he, right. he gets all the benefit of the doubt, even after this whole Wade fiasco. I still believe that because, like I, I said on the first podcast when we talked about Wade, Pat Riley's not a fan of the Heat, right? Like He's got a job to do, and his job is to win. And he obviously, at some level, felt that maybe that didn't include Dwayne Wade. We could talk, well, you know, I think we'll probably be talking about Wade not being with the Heat forever, but... Um, I do, my only concern, though, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, is they never won anything with Riley as coach instilling the culture. Now, I know it usually takes a long time, but even with Lonzo Morning, and I know a lot of things happen with Lonzo Morning, but still. Sure. Morning leaves, Wade comes in. So he's got somebody to pass the torch off basically immediately. I mean, Wade as a rookie was immediately ready. That was very right. clear. And then... As soon after, as soon as that happened, the Heat traded for Shaquille O'Neal, who's not who I wouldn't say is a heat culture kind of guy, right? Like he's one no, of the he top 15 player of all time, no doubt, but like probably should have been top five with all of his skills, but just didn't work as hard. It was all about the movies, like whatever. Um, they win a title with Shaq. There's a few down years after Shaq. And then they're able to bring in LeBron, who wasn't a heat culture guy. He didn't know what heat culture was. And he's even... He's changed a lot. Heat culture has benefited LeBron. Maybe by the end of his tenure in Miami, he was somewhat of a heat culture guy, but he's never really. He's not all about basketball, right? He does. He, there's too much. There's too much other stuff around LeBron for him to just be basketball. So, mm-hmm. and then, but he goes to Cleveland and does the best he can to instill that with the Cavaliers. But they won titles with LeBron, and I think that you know a lot because of LeBron's singular talent. I don't. I'm just now that. Wade's gone, right? And Wade's always been that common thread between all those stars and all those teams and all those championships. Now that he's gone, I'm a little worried that he didn't have enough time with these young guys, Josh Richardson, Justice Winslow, Tyler Johnson, Hassan Whiteside, all these guys, in order to... I don't think all these guys are going to be ready to carry that torch, and I'm not Mm. sure that Riley, where he's at now, you know, in the twilight of his career, many believe, I don't know if he can start that rebuilding process. And I, I don't know if it's, it is a rebuilding process. I don't know if the heat culture is so strong now that it doesn't need the face of heat culture there anymore. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, Wade was the face of heat culture, even though Riley's there. And at least certainly the fr- face of the franchise. I don't know how much of a shock that's going to be. I don't know how much rebuilding it's going to take of that culture. 
I don't know how much Haslam being there is going to help. I mean, this is a guy that's probably going to be riding the bench for most of the season. So I just have a few questions is all. Well, I mean, I, I kind of disagree there because, okay. to be honest with you, I think, you know, his – I think while the, the commitment to basketball uh, basketball is paramount as far as what Riley is concerned, I don't know that it's necessarily the only tenet of heat culture that, that we should focus on. I think it is also – the commitment to defense as a team, you know, sharing things as a, as a team defensively is a huge part of it. I think, you know, you would look at the person that LeBron was before he joined Miami and you wouldn't necessarily say that he was a great defender. He was capable of it. And even though there were moments in Miami where he wasn't always committed to defense, I think you would argue that he was probably as good as he was in Cleveland, became even a better all around player because of his tenure in Miami. And I think a lot of that was adopting the kinds of things that he learned here um, from a, an organizational perspective, from a commitment level perspective. And, and the fact that he changed those things when he went to Cleveland, I think, speaks highly of what heat culture is. Sometimes it's hard to define, and we're trying our best to do so now, and it's still difficult. Um, so I think it's still there. I think it's still prevalent in that commitment to defense. And I think part of it also is there's – as cliche as it might sound, there is a, a commitment to family as well. Like whether it's the team, whether it's not, whether it's the, the front office, you know, the fact that the owner's son has a major role on the team. And it wasn't just one that was handed to him. He had to earn his place. He had to, he was obsessed with bas- basketball. He went to Duke, he studied, but he also was there as an intern, kind of working his way up. And eventually he earned the privilege of being one of the key figures in Riley's front office organization. So I think that's something that's a big part of it. I think Eric Spolstra as a head coach kind of symbolizes that's that right. heat culture yeah. that, that, that he right. you know, was able to work his way up from the, the video room and, and do all the dirty work, getting Riley suits, you know, making copies of scouting reports, watching hours and hours of film. This is a guy that, that was able to put in so much time and commit so much of his own personal life to doing this that eventually he was rewarded with one of the best positions in basketball. I mean, one of 30 head coaching jobs. And he's, you know, look at him now. He's been with the team eight seasons. It's hard to believe that he's been there for eight years. But yeah, he's, he's the, behind only Greg Popovich. Exactly. One so of the longest tenured coaches you, in the league. Do you, I mean, should we even compare the Spurs culture and the Heat culture? The Spurs culture obviously is still in place. Popovich is still there as far as we know, right? Um, and and they have so much talent still there that you get the sense that this thing's just going to keep chugging along. With the Heat, with Wade gone, with Riley still there, with, like you said, Eric Spolster, which I think is a very, very good point, that Spolster is there and he's almost the new Riley like as, as far as walking the sidelines and making right. sure that, that, that everything is there, that, every, that, that the basketball stuff is in place. He's a very good coach, obviously. Do you think that the Heat culture is as stable as the Spurs culture? I think it's more stable, to be honest with you. I think, I think if if you took anything from a piece by Tom Haberstroh of ESPN and and what I kind of mentioned before that the culture was a reflection of Duncan, not the other way around. I don't think that Duncan reflected the culture; he helped create it. So while Popovich is there with his dry acerbic wit, I think it's a different team now. Look, I, I mean, is Tony Parker? A heat, a Spurs culture kind of guy? Probably not. I don't think that he necessarily fits it. I think Aldridge might be in that he's quiet and kind of shies away from the news. And obviously Kawhi Leonard is a kind of cyborg from the future with huge hands. I mean, everybody talks about these, but is it is it? Are they 
representative of Spurs culture or are they merely just dry personalities that kind of fit into that overall culture? I mean, that's part of it too, is that you wanted to, from a RC Buford perspective or a Greg Popovich perspective, you wanted to build guys or add guys to the team that were going to blend in well with Timmy's personality. Now that Duncan's personality is gone, removed from the equation, what happens next? So I, if anything, I would think that that model that's that culture if you will is probably less stable there because of the removal of duncan versus what's left in miami now because of spolstra even especially i think because of haslam the fact that he acts as an extension of the coaching in the front office and i think it's going to be passed down to the younger guys i really think a guy like josh richardson who we've already seen has benefited from the specific teaching of Eric Spolstra to turn him into a very serviceable shooter and a factor for a guy who was a second round cast off that nobody expected much from. And all of a sudden you're looking at him moving forward as a linchpin of this team. He's going to be a big factor, whether he starts or not, regardless, he's going to be a factor for Miami moving forward. And he's already a guy who's benefited from Spolstra, who is an extension of heat culture. So I think a guy like Richardson, and I think especially Justice Winslow is the next guy to take over whatever heat culture might be. Uh, I saw quotes from him in, in Summer League, talked to him about it, and I think he, he, he recognizes what heat culture is. even spoke of a, a teammate, Briante Weber, as being a guy who represents what the heat are all about. You, talk, you look at Jawan Howard, who's the, the head coach of the, the Summer League team, who was an assistant coach, but who played with seven eight other teams before he joined Miami and he recognized something great about this team a culture that was in place that helped motivate him into becoming a coach so I think those things are all in place and I think they'll continue to be they'll keep plugging in guys who act as extensions of that model that's been in place since 1995 when Pat Riley first joined the team all of that said you know it'll be interesting to see now I mean yes Haslam's still there but he's not a starter he's not going to play big minutes It'll be very interesting to see now with Wade gone, who among that starting lineup. And I know we really haven't talked about Chris Bosh at all, if he's back. And it, do, it certainly does sound like everybody expects him to play, or, or at least on the player's side. But yes. Bosh has never been there without Wade. You know, like, So that'll be, a, that'll be something new for him. And it'll be inter- interesting to see how this team like, kind of embodies that heat culture without Wade. I think with Wade, it was always, I always got that sense that, you know, he was just going to work until it was done or, or, you know, analytics and all that stuff is just out the window with Wade, right? He went ahead and shot a bunch of threes against Charlotte, like even though all the analytics would say there's no <laughs> way that's a good shot, right? But he did right. it. And that to me is, a, is, it isn't all of heat culture, but it's a little bit. Like that's a little slice just to say like, no, this is basketball. Like the hell with the numbers. Like when it comes down to it, I'm going to make that shot. I don't care. And I know Spolster is very data-driven, and he is. But I do wonder... Who in the starting line? I mean, Goran Dragic is really a great example. I mean, he's got his face knocked into and his teeth knocked out and was still playing basketball. I think he should get some credit for at least being one of those heat culture guys, which, you know, if he can kind of carry that torch as well, that should start Mm -hmm. to hush some of the trade rumors. And if he can become kind of a guiding light and and a lead-by-example kind of guy, because he doesn't seem like necessarily a loud guy. He's not, no. Yeah, I think that would be... I think Pat Riley is going to really favor, and Eric Spolstra will really favor Goran Dragic as a lead-by-example guy. And then, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we talked yeah. about it when we did our, our positional breakdown on, on point guards, that Goran gets a lot of crap from Heat fans, despite the fact that he is, as you pointed out, very representative of Heat culture. The fact that he's had his teeth knocked in and out and that he just keeps fighting through it. 
And if there's some, I don't know, it's just they haven't embraced this guy just yet. And I don't know if it's because he's changed the pace a little bit from what Wade used to run. I'm just not, I quite, can't quite put my finger on it, but I think you're right. I think if you look at what heat culture is, he represents it perfectly. The tireless effort, mm-hmm. the willingness to keep persevering, even through physical injury, et cetera. And, and that's something that I think Heat fans need to appreciate a little bit more. Obviously the elephant in the room, Hassan Whiteside. <laughs> not a heat culture guy. But, again, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Wasn't a good free throw shooter. Fixed his free throw shooting. Wasn't in the league for a long time. Got back into the league. I mean, it's not like he's not really, like, it's not that he's, like, the opposite of heat culture, right? I wouldn't wouldn't go as far to say, like, this guy's all about basketball. But obviously, he, I think there's, I can't believe I'm going to say this. There's more to Hassan Whiteside than meets the eye. Wow, I don't know about that. I think, um, <laughs> wow, because I think he puts I so much of himself like, out there. We might be missing that two percent of him, right? That is just like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I just like it has. It says something when a dude gets is back driven. into the league from Lebanon, man. Like that he, says he is driven. He is driven, and I think part of it is like now that question mark is. You know, is he was he driven to achieve a contract or is he driven to succeed beyond the mere monetary compensation that he's going to receive now? Now that he's got his fat deal, now that he's big on Y two on two K, right? Y two K. Now he's big on two K. You know, he, he's is what's next for him? Is, well, does it does it have to be a championship? Right? Like, if if he, I don't think it does. Well, I think it does, obviously, but I don't think I think that's what the Heat are about. You know, and if Hassan Whiteside is going to be, you know, one of the best players on the team, obviously he's got to want the championship, and I don't think I don't think anybody doubts that. Every player wants a championship to some degree. Sure, but maybe, but are you willing? Maybe to- what what if his whole thing? What if he is like? What if Hassan Whiteside is ninety percent basketball, ten percent Snapchat, eighty percent basketball, twenty percent Snapchat, whatever? But a majority basketball. Yeah. But his goal is to be the highest rated player in two K. If that still means. He's going to ball out on the court and do whatever he can to be the best player and work just as hard to being the highest player, highest rated player in 2K than he would working towards being a champion, uh, a championship player. I think like maybe that's just kind of like the new wave player. Like they want that appreciation, that outside attention. That might not necessarily be a bad thing as long as it doesn't get in the way of what's on the court, right? Well, I think for Whiteside in particular, and it's something that we've addressed in the past, is that. There seems to be a pursuit of individual accolades mm-hmm. versus a team-based accolades. And I think that's part of the problem is that, you know, we've seen him chase rebounds. We've seen him chase blocks and might over, you know, might cost the team overall. And that's where the, the danger lies. Is he going to be committed Riley to says things like he needs to be the, he needs to carry the team now. Right. It's right. not going to be just about going to get that. It's, it's going to be really interesting to see just in general. And this is probably, this is going to, a topic for a much larger, a longer podcast about Whiteside that we could have, but how he reacts to now that he's got the money, he doesn't need the money, and he's proven enough. Like he's proven himself to be a max player in the NBA. I mean, this guy's getting paid just as much as LeBron James. You know, he's getting a max deal. So it'll be interesting to see if he kind of pivots his attention to. All right, I got my money. I'm I'm highly rated in 2K. I don't have the new t- 2K. I don't know if you've, if it's even out. He's probably a very highly rated player in that game. Sure he is. I'm sure, yeah. He's, you know, so maybe now it's like, hey, I got all these things crossed out, checked off on my list. Why don't I just win a championship now? And that's a scary thought given how, you know, a season and a half 
that's all it took him for to be defensive player of the year, and he wanted to be defensive player of the year. That was a goal of his. And so it took him a season and a half to get third place in that. It took him a couple of days to fix his free throw shot. If this guy gets his mindset on wanting to win a championship, who like that's kind of a scary thought if he really wanted if he really wants it. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's clear why he chose why Riley might have chosen bringing back a guy like Whiteside over anyone else. I mean, if if he is just that talented where he can virtually switch on and off what his focus is, you wonder what's next for him then. Because, I mean, you pointed out, you've you've written a lot of pieces about, you know, what's missing for Whiteside, what's the next step, and clearly a lot of it is on offense regarding his passing, the fact that he's too one-dimensional and he needs to diversify his skill set a little bit. He needs to be part of a free-flowing offense. You wonder if that's the next step. And, and you know, it's funny that you mention it now in context. I hadn't thought about it before. But it reminds me a little bit, probably, you know, to a much lesser extent, but you, you heard tales of Will Chamberlain being told again and again that he didn't pass that much and then the next year led the league in assists. Right, right, yeah. It was just that skilled where he said, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and, and do whatever I want to. Oh, my but God. But then again, a lot Did of the you... criticism was that it was just more individually right. driven versus, you know, did it cost the team any victories in order to achieve 10-plus assists per game? It's a good point. Um, I think Eric Spolstra is – I think that was a great point by you earlier that, you know, he's the guy. He – Whiteside, yes, he's on a max deal. Bosch may may not be playing. Justice Winslow's, a, a, you know, looks certainly to be to fit the mold of a heat culture guy, but who knows what his future is? Eric Spolster just signed a two-year extension. It doesn't look like he's going anywhere anytime soon. The, the organization is very loyal to him. Right. He's one of the top five coaches in the league, at least. Um, and and as long as he's there, I think he finds ways to get the best out of everybody. Whiteside, Justice Winslow, and everybody in between. Um, so I think if we started this podcast by asking the question, is the heat culture in jeopardy? I think the answer that we just came up with is no, not really. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, I think that's as good as anywhere to end it. Um, thanks for listening to Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You can find us on Audio Boom, part where the whole network is. Also, you can find us on iTunes. Subscribe, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening and thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. Look, I don't know how to talk to you. I don't know how to ask you if you're okay. My friends always feel the need to tell me things. Seems like they're just happier than us these days. Yeah. These days, I don't know how to talk to you. I don't know how to be there when you need me. It feels like the only...